your Bibles once again, I invite you to turn with me to the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1055. And if you're a guest with us, we've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew and we're approaching the end of our Lord Jesus Christ's last sermon before he went to the cross, uh, often referred to as the Olivet Discourse. And then in chapter 25, we are in a series of three parables that he taught to illustrate uh, what he taught in chapter 24 regarding the signs and the times of his return. And this morning, I want to speak for a few minutes on this subject, the tragedy of a wasted life. Matthew chapter 25, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. And this is what the Word of God says. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul made a sobering statement regarding all of humanity saying, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And the reality of this statement is illustrated in the passage before us this morning. 
Jesus continues his final sermon to his disciples and to us by telling the parable of the talents. And though this parable has relevance to every generation, the Lord was still speaking directly about the generation that will be living when he returns in great power and glory. And like the previous parable, this passage demonstrates what it means to be ready for Christ's second coming. The parable of the ten virgins illustrates being ready for Christ's return by waiting. This parable illustrates being ready for Christ's return by working. And these two pictures give us the balance that is needed in our lives. Saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is an expectant faith, but it is also a serving faith. It is not enough just to persevere through the trials and the hardships of life. We must also faithfully steward all that our Lord and Savior has entrusted to us. Both expectancy and serving go hand in hand. And in these matters, no Christian can be passive. As one commentator noted, this period of waiting is not intended to be an empty, meaningless delay, but a period of opportunity to put to good use what God has entrusted to us. And in this parable of the talents, Jesus reveals the tragedy of a wasted life. And he asks all of us if we are serving Christ faithfully with what he has given us. For as Paul reminds us, the day is coming when every single one of us will give an account of our lives to God. And all of us must be ready for that day. Would you notice with me, first of all, in verses 14 and 15, the responsibility of the servants. Jesus says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. And you'll notice with the use of the word for at the beginning of verse 14, Jesus indicates that he is still teaching his disciples and he is still teaching us about the kingdom of heaven that he began in verse number 1. And according to Jesus, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. And the kingdom of heaven will also be like a man going on a journey. And in this parable, as with the previous one, Jesus is referring to the kingdom of heaven as the visible outward body of those who profess to know and serve Christ. And in both parables, Jesus makes it clear that in that outward manifestation of the kingdom, both true and false disciples exist. For the foolish virgins in the previous parable and the faithless servant in this parable do not represent professed pagans or atheists or agnostics or reprobates. They represent those who profess to know Christ but in reality do not. 
Now you'll notice that Jesus begins this parable in verse 14 with a man who represents Christ going on a journey. And this phrase, a man going on a journey, indicates the setting of the parable, which is the time between Christ's ascension back to heaven after his resurrection and his second coming. You'll also notice in verse 14 that Jesus says that because the man was planning to be gone for a long period of time, he needed to ensure that his estate was properly managed in his absence. So before he left on his journey, he called his servants and he entrusted to all of them his property. And the fact that these were his own servants reinforces the idea in this parable that Jesus' teaching regarding the kingdom of heaven refers to the outward church composed of those who profess to belong to him. And you'll notice that he calls these workers his servants. This word is a general term that referred to any kind of level of a bondservant. It was used to describe common laborers and menial household servants, as well as skilled craftsmen and artists and highly trained professionals. And these servants were the personal property of their owners, and their owners often had the power of life and death over them. And many historians teach us that in the days of Jesus, a wealthy person would often have special servants who also functioned as overseers of their household and managers of their business. And in many cases, some of these servants were much better educated and skilled than their own master. And so they were highly trusted by their owners and they were given freedom by them with areas of responsibility to manage the home and the business and all of the owner's activities as if they owned them themselves. We would describe it today as the fact that they had been given the power of attorney over their owner's estates. And in verse 15 you'll notice that we're told that this man had three such servants whom he entrusted his entire property. And to one he gave five talents, and to another he gave two talents, and to a third he gave one talent. Now, aren't you dying to know what a talent is? I can hear you asking the question. And in a context as this one, talents always refer to money. But the word itself literally means a measure of weight. And the value of the coin depended upon its weight and upon its composition. So for example, a talent of gold was more valuable than a talent of silver. And a talent of silver was more valuable than a talent of copper or bronze. And one commentator helps us understand and gain a better idea of what is happening in the text here with these talents by stating the basic unit of money at that time was a denarius, which was a good day's wage for a laborer. And so one silver talent, are you ready for this, equaled 6,000 days wages. That is 20 years worth of wages. And so if you apply that to verse 15, 
this master entrusted great resources to his servants. To one, a hundred years worth of wages. To another, 40 years worth of wages. And to a third, 20 years of wages. Now for our purposes, how would we understand these talents? Well, one commentator described them this way. They are the responsibilities the Lord gives his people in light of their abilities and opportunities. That a talent is the responsibilities that we are given by God in light of the abilities that we have from God and the opportunities that we have from God. My favorite definition of talent comes from J.C. Ryle. I'm sure you're surprised. In his book, Expository Thoughts on Matthew. And he says that a talent is anything whereby we may glorify God. Our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges as members of Christ's church, our advantages as professors and possessors of the Bible. All of these things are talents. Now notice carefully in the text. And by the way, I'm just laying groundwork for you. That's why it's taking a little time here. Notice carefully in verse 15 that the man gave the talents to each of his servants I would underline this in my Bible, if I were you, according to his ability. Now, this is a significant statement. For depending on one's ability, five talents could absolutely crush you. While one talent or two talents could bore you. And so the master knew what his servants could handle, and he gave to each one of them according to their ability. He knew them intimately, and he entrusted with them the responsibility that they could reasonably handle. And I would remind all of us this morning that God in the same manner knows us intimately. He knows our abilities. He knows our gifts. He knows our opportunities. And He knows our circumstances. And He graciously assigns to us responsibilities in light of all of that truth. And so here at the outset of this parable, Jesus is establishing common accountability for differing levels of responsibility based on individual ability. And as you will see, the point of this parable is what each servant does with what he has been entrusted with. And you'll notice at the end of verse 15, once the owner was satisfied that his estate was in order, he went away. He left on his journey. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, Living in light of the imminent return of Christ, do you understand the life of responsibility that has been entrusted to you? Do you understand, Christian, that God has given you a weight of responsibility that through His grace and through His strength, you are able to carry? Or 
are you caught in the comparison trap? Whether through the perfect lives displayed before you on social media, or even within the relationships here within your own church community. Do you find yourself crushed this morning, Christian, because you are trying to carry a five-talent weight that God did not give to you? Or do you find yourself this morning, Christian, neglecting your responsibility because you are treating your two-talent weight like a one-talent weight? Christian, if you are living a life of God-given responsibility, you will accept the weight that God has given to you according to your own ability and opportunity And you will serve him in that light. And for some of us this morning, I just believe as I was meditating on this phrase and studying this passage, you need to hear this truth. You are crushed this morning under the weight of something that God has never given you to bear. And there's freedom in Christ. There's joy in serving Christ in light of the truth. Of this text. Well we not only see the responsibility of the servants. Secondly we see the response of the servants in verses 16 to 18. Jesus said he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, in verse 16, we see that the servant who had received the five talents, what did he do? He eagerly served his master. Jesus says that he went at once immediately, and he traded with them, and he made five talents more. And this word traded is important to understand. It carries the broad connotation of doing business over a period of time. In other words, the servant did not simply make one good investment and then sit back on his laurels. But rather he traded and retraded the whole time his master was away. He may have been involved in a number of business ventures simultaneously. But the point is not the type of work that he engaged in. The point is that he took full advantage of all of the resources that his master had given him and his industry and his faithfulness and his responsibility doubled the impact and he earned five more talents for his master. In verse 17, Jesus says that the servant who had the two talents, he did the same thing as the first servant and he earned two talents more. And notice, although the second servant was given much less to work with, what did he do? He stewarded his talents just as faithfully and industriously as the first servant. And like the first servant, he doubled his master's investment and earned two talents more. And friends, both the first servant and the second servant represent genuine Christians. They represent those who demonstrate their love 
and their devotion to their Savior by faithfully stewarding their talents and by seizing the opportunities that they have been given by God with their own ability. And in verse 18, we see the contrast in the behavior of the third servant. And we notice that it was very different than the first two. For Jesus says that he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Because there were no safes or bank vaults or safety deposit boxes in Jesus' day, it was a common practice to dig holes in the ground and hide your valuables like jewelry and coins. But you'll notice in the context of this parable, this servant was not designed or created to hide what his master had given him in the ground. His master had given him this one talent so that it would be used and deployed for business and for earning a profit. And this servant was foolish in what he did and he was faithless in what he did. This third servant was not given a talent to protect. He was given a talent to invest He was given a talent to make a profit for his master. Listen, he was given a talent to make a difference with his life. And even though his resources and his opportunities were less than the other two servants, the third servant had the same obligation of faithfulness to use what had been entrusted to him by his master according to his ability. And this third servant, please listen carefully to me this morning. This third servant represents an unbeliever. Outwardly, he appears genuine. He knows the language of servanthood. He dresses the part. He even manifests talents to some degree. But inwardly, it is clear from this text that this third servant is far from the Lord and his distance is evident in his faithlessness. J.C. Ryle said this about this third servant. To hide our talent is to neglect opportunities of glorifying God when we have been given them. This is what I say about this third servant. To dig and put our talent in the ground is to have light but live in the dark. It is to waste what God has entrusted to us. It is to live for ourselves rather than for God. And in the end, it is to be condemned. That is the reality of this third servant. And so I ask you this morning congregation. Some of you have been given five talents. Some of you have been given two talents. And some of you have been given one talent. But the question is not how many talents you have been given. The question is what are you doing with the talents that you have been given? Well, What are you doing with the talents you have been given? We not only see the responsibility of the servants and the response of the servants, 
Third, we see the reckoning of the servants in verses 19 to 27. 19 to 27. And I'm going to read through those as we move along. Now you'll notice, beginning in verse 19, that Jesus does not tell us the length of time the man was away other than that it was a long time. And in the context of the Olivet Discourse in which Jesus repeatedly states that his second coming will be at a time when it is unexpected, the implication in the parable is that the master of these servants came back unexpectedly and one of them was not prepared. Now in verse 19, Jesus tells us that when the master of those servants returned, his first task was to settle accounts with all three of them. And Jesus goes on in verse 20 and says that when the master called his servants together to settle accounts, notice, the one who had received the five talents, he came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. Now, could you just stop for a moment and let the words of that verse sink in? And can you picture the scene in your mind? This master, this man, he's been on a long journey. And he's made it back home. And the first thing he does when he sets his bags down is gather all of his servants together to settle accounts. And the first servant, the one with five talents, he is eager He is eager to see his master. He is eager to be in his master's presence. And notice what he says. Master, you delivered to me five talents here. Look, I've made five talents more. Now, I'm not doing justice to the text this morning, but I ask you this simple question with your imagination. Can you hear the excitement in the voice of this servant? He is not hiding in shame or fear from his master. He is excited to see him. And not only is he excited to see him, he's excited to give a report of what he's done with what he's been given. Here, you gave me five. I've doubled it. I have five more. And this response was not one of pride, friends. Don't misunderstand it. This servant knew that everything that was entrusted to him was a gift from his master. And that by faithfully investing it and using what he had been given, he was just merely doing what was expected of him out of love and devotion for the one who cares for him. In verse 21... The master commended the first servant. Look at what he says. Well done, good and faithful servant. And you'll notice that this commendation for the, was for the servant's character. Jesus says that the master says he was a good servant. And it was also a commendation for his skill. For Jesus says that he was a faithful servant. But the master not only commended the first servant... In verse 21, look at what he did. He rewarded him, declaring, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And it's a reminder, friends, that not only will the Lord entrust greater earthly tasks 
to those who prove themselves faithful, but their reward in heaven will be an opportunity for greater service to their Lord throughout all eternity. For Jesus says in this principle that those who have been faithful on earth with little things will be in charge in eternity over greater things. As one commentator described it, every soul in heaven will equally possess eternal life and will be equally righteous, equally Christ-like, and equally glorious. Everyone will be equally perfect because perfection has no degrees. The difference will be in opportunities and levels of service. And just as the angels serve God in ranks, so will redeem men and women. And the degree of their heavenly service will have been determined by their devotedness in earthly service. Do you understand what is happening in the text? Jesus is preparing you for eternity. And he is telling you, and he is telling me, that there is a direct correlation by, by how we live in this life and what eternity will be like for us with him. It's an issue of stewardship. It's an issue of faithfulness. But notice the text. I, I can't describe this text accurately enough. It is so powerful when you stop and think about it. And I'm urging you in this moment to stop and think about it. To keep your Bible open and keep going back to the text. And keep looking at it and reading it. And soaking it in. And look at the end of verse 21. A second reward. Enter into the joy of your master. Oh, it's not just that you're going to be given more service in heaven. <laughs> It's that you will enter into an environment. You will enter into a culture. You will enter into an atmosphere of utter and complete joy. And it will be the joy of communion undiminished. It will be the joy of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Your joy will come from His joy and there you will be and there I will be if you know Christ entrusted with service fully joyfully willingly satisfyingly serving Jesus for all eternity and in that place there will be no superiority there will be no inferiority there will be no envy. There will be no jealousy. There will be complete joy in Jesus. Can you imagine it? Can you picture it? No pushing through the pain to serve. No Broken heartedness and disappointment and discouragement in service. Joy. The joy of Jesus. J.C. Ryle said, these words are full of comfort to all believers and may well fill us with wonder and surprise. 
The best of Christians is a poor, frail creature and needs the blood of atonement every day that he lives. But the least and the lowest of believers will find that he is counted among Christ's servants and that his labor has not been in vain in the Lord. He will discover to his amazement that his master's eyes saw more beauty in his efforts to please him than he ever saw in himself. He will find that every hour spent in Christ's service and every word spoken on Christ's behalf has been written in a book of remembrance. Let believers remember these things and take courage. We are going to the joy of Jesus. Mm. And Christian, if that doesn't move you, if that doesn't excite you and give you hope, out of all the love in my heart as your pastor, what is wrong with you? In verse 22, the servant who had two talents came forward. And he gave a similar report as the first. The only difference being that he had doubled two talents instead of five. And therefore made two talents more. And notice the master's response in verse 23. It was identical to his response to the first servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And, and can't you see the principle? To each according to his ability. Faithfulness. Then notice in verses 24 and 25, the third servant came forward. But instead of presenting his master with a return on his investment, look at what he did. He gave him excuses, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. And though this third servant was identified as belonging to the master, representative of his belonging to Christ's church before the second coming, it is clear from the text that this third servant's identification with Christ was superficial. He was not a genuine Christian. And his superficiality is seen in the fact that he did absolutely nothing with the talent he had been given. And look carefully at the text. Not only did he do absolutely nothing with the talent that he had been given, he didn't even attempt to do anything with the talent that he had been given. He didn't attempt to do anything for his master. He squandered the stewardship that he had been given. Now listen to me carefully. Because as much as it breaks my heart to say to you what I'm about to say to you, I believe it is representative and describes people in this very room. Listen carefully. This third servant is a picture of an unbelieving church member. One who lives in the environment of the family of God. One who enjoys the fellowship of God's people. One who is exposed to the blessings and the teaching of the Word of God. One who has been given access to other means of grace. And yet, 
in spite of all of the spiritual privilege, this one remains unaffected and spiritually barren, just like the third servant. Now notice what else happens in the text. This servant doesn't just make excuses. Look at what he does. He disparages his master's character. He accuses him of being a hard man, reaping where he did not sow and gathering where he scattered no seed. And as a result of his view of his master's character, Jesus says that this servant was afraid of his master. But it wasn't a fear of reverential awe and respect. It was a fear of judgment and contempt. That's why one author said, Most failure in the Christian life has at its root a false understanding of the character and the purpose of God. And if that can be distorted in our thinking, then our response to Him and our conduct arising out of that response will inevitably be distorted. And this man had a distorted view of his master. And because of his fear of his master, Jesus says this servant hid his talent in the ground. Now look at the text. And let me ask you, do you see that this servant is blaming the master for his indifference and irresponsibility? Do you see it? You know what came to my mind? This third servant, he's just like Adam in the garden. God, you're the one that gave me the woman. It's your fault, not mine. And this servant has fallen to the same error, blaming his master for his own faithlessness, his own failure, his own irresponsibility, his own indifference. And notice what the text says. At the time of this settling of accounts, the third servant went and he dug that hole and he pulled that talent out of the ground and he presented it to his master. And look at what the text says that he says. Here, you have what is yours. Now, like I asked you before, can you stop and listen to that statement? And let me ask you this question. Do you hear the disdain in his voice for his master? Well, let me, let me help you picture this scene. I got to go dig that hole again. Got the talent. He is nothing but trouble. Gives me a hard time all the time. I mean, he's not even worth serving. Here, you have what is yours. Leave me alone. That's the idea. This servant hurled unfounded accusations at his master. He charged him with dishonesty and ruthlessness and harshness. He had no love for his master, no faith in his master, and no respect for his master. Listen to me, friends. Once again, this third servant represents unbelieving church members. They have the appearance of godliness, but they do not possess true spiritual fruit. They have distorted and unbiblical views of God and his character, and they justify their life choices and their actions Listen, by doing just what the third servant did, blaming God for their own decisions and lives. It's the height of sinful pride and rebellion. 
And in verses 26 and 27, the master responds to the third servant. And look at what he says. You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. And the master says that this servant was wicked because he wrongfully smeared his master's character. And he was slothful because he did nothing with the talent that was entrusted to him. It is evident that this servant did not care for his master He did not expect his master's return. He was unprepared for his master's return. And he did not expect to be held accountable by his master. And in the end, this servant was wrong on every single account. And I'm telling you this morning that this servant describes some people in this very room. By repeating The servant's charge against him, the master, was not acknowledging its truthfulness. He was saying to him the reality of the situation. If you truly believe this about me, why didn't you do something with what I gave you? The prophet of the first two servants speaks of satisfaction and fulfillment Of making the most of the opportunities that they had been given. And so if you're a Christian this morning, I ask you, are you satisfied and fulfilled in serving your Lord? Or do you find yourself growing weary this morning in doing good? And do you understand, Christian, that God will only say well done to those who have done well. To those who have been faithful in loving Him and serving Him. And so I ask you this morning, Christian, are you living and serving in light of the day when you will enter into the joy of your Lord? And are you living for the day when you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? The failure of the third servant speaks of a lack of love and devotion for the master. It speaks of a wasted and empty life. And unbeliever, I ask you this morning, do you see in this text the tragedy of a wasted life? Do you see this morning, unbeliever, the tragedy of being so close to the kingdom of God and yet failing to enter it? Because you are there this very moment. You are caught up in the family of God. You are caught up in the worship of God. You are caught up in the blessings of being taught the word of God. The blessings of the means of the grace of God all around you. And all of these things have come together to point to you to God. And to say to you, you are not ready to meet Him. You are this close to the kingdom. And yet it's as if you were miles away. And I just ask you this morning, with love and compassion and care for the destiny of your soul, your soul that will live forever, how can you come every week and hear the singing? How can you come every week and hear the preaching? How can you come every week and see the fellowship and the communion and the joy and the love on people surrounded by you and stay unmoved? How can you? 
even in this moment, you're arching your back and you're stiffening up. Who does he think he is to tell me that? It's the word of God, friend. It's not my opinion. Well, we not only see the responsibility of the servants and the response of the servants and the reckoning of the servants. Finally, we we see in verses 28 to 30 the reward of the servants. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look at this. In verse 28, the master orders that the talent is to be taken from that third wicked and slothful servant. And it's to be given to the first servant. Because of his faithfulness. And then in verse 29, the master illustrates this principle of rewards. And he says, for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he's teaching us that those who trust in Christ gain everything. And those who don't trust in Christ lose everything. And according to Jesus, God will bless the good and faithful servants. Look at the text. With abundance. With true riches, with true service, with true joy. But because this third servant was not a true Christian, because he was wicked, because he was slothful, because he was worthless, look at verse 30 and what Jesus says. This third servant will spend eternity weeping, for he will be cast into outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now listen to me, I'm almost finished. Do you know that there's actually commentators who say what I just read to you is not talking about hell? Like, what planet are they on? This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in this verse. The phrase outer darkness is a common New Testament description of a literal, eternal place called hell. And hell will not only be a place of eternal darkness. Look at the text. It will be a place of eternal torment where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, it speaks of the reality that hell will be a place of unrelieved agony. That those who are confined to hell for all eternity will live. Look, look at the text. They will live in complete Darkness, not one shred of light in that place forever. And not only will they live in complete darkness, they will cry and hear sounds of crying forever. And they will be in so much pain, they will be gnashing their teeth because they don't know what else to do. And they will never, ever be unrelieved from this punishment and friends just as comfort and encouragement and joy is found in well done thou good and faithful servant trembling humility fear should be found in outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever 
And do you want to know what the tragedy of a wasted life is? It's right here in verse 30. This third servant was afraid of his master. And so he didn't do anything with what he had been given. Because he had a wrong view of his master and he was afraid he was going to be treated with harshness. And here's the tragedy and the irony. What he was afraid of, do you see it in the text? It actually came true. Because he wasted his life, because he squandered his opportunity, the very thing he tried to avoid became his eternal reality. And this servant, oh listen, this was worth coming to church for. He will feel. Do you hear me? He will feel his wasted life forever. James Montgomery Boy said, what a grim fate that is. Darkness. Because it is a life without God who is the source of all light. Outside, because it is without God who is the creator and center of all things. And in that darkness there is no hope, no joy, no love, no laughter. In that outside world there is only weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, do not go there. Repent of your sin. Trust Christ as your Savior and use your new life in Christ to work for Him now. That's how you respond to this parable. You don't ignore it. You trust Him. You go to Him. You don't stand on the outside looking in. You humble yourself. You get rid of your objections. And you come to Christ. Now don't misunderstand this parable. Serving the Lord is not an attempt to earn your salvation. The Bible is clear. None of us can do anything to earn our salvation or gain heaven. It is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ alone, in his perfect, sinless life, his atoning death on the cross for your sins that covers your sins in his righteousness. It is his burial in the tomb. It is his resurrection from the grave. It is his ascension into heaven, and it is his promise of his return. That is what saves you and nothing else. And once you receive Christ and you're caught up in the joy of knowing Jesus, then you serve him out of that joy, out of thankfulness and gratitude to God for all that he has done for you. You serve him because you love him. You serve him because you're grateful that he rescued you from your sin and put your feet on a solid rock and gave you a hope and life in him forevermore. And if you've tasted that, you want to serve him. And so I ask you, dear friend, if Jesus were to return today, would you be found faithful like the first two servants? Or would you be condemned like the third servant? In this parable, Jesus reveals the tragedy of a wasted life. For this parable asks us what we are doing with what God has given us. Oh, friends, it's not enough to hang in there. That's only half of it. Hang in there and serve him and love him and be devoted to him to the end, no matter what happens. Because I'm telling you, if you, if you can just 
picture that day. And what it would be like. And all the pain that you've gone through. All the brokenness. All the suffering that only you and God truly know. All of the disappointment. All of the hurt. And yet through it all, you persevered and you kept serving and you kept running and you kept putting one foot in another, not because you're strong, but because your strength is in the grace of God and the work of His Son. And He empowers you and helps you through His Spirit and His Word. And you put one foot in front of the next and you plod and you persevere. And then on that day, you see Him and you're caught up in His joy. And He takes His nail-scarred hand and He wipes every tear from your eye well done good and faithful servant will your life be the tragedy of a wasted life let's pray Father, our hearts are grateful today for the nourishment of your word. So we thank you today for feeding our souls and our spirits through it. And Father, in light of this text today, all of us have something to say to you. And so we pause before your throne and we quietly individually offer our prayers to you. We pray, God, by your grace that we would be found faithful. And we pray in your grace that those who don't know you you would draw to yourself even this very moment. And we pray that you would do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.